Well, uh, we obviously heard uh, various informations from the front. We learned again very bad news that the Russians attacked the Poland from the east. It wasn't very long, a couple of days. They already showed up. Uh, Russian troops have entered uh, our uh, village and uh, all the surrounding villages. That's exactly the experience of my grandparents who were displaced from eastern Poland and taken out to the gulags. It's extraordinary to see and hear somebody who could be one of my grandparents actually talking about that. Mm. It's very moving. Yeah. Hello, I'm the writer and podcaster Elizabeth Day and I'm with my husband, Justin Bassini, here at the Imperial War Museum in London. It's the first time I've been here, actually, for seven years. The last time I came was to do research for my second novel, Home Fires, because there's a whole First World War strand. And it's cold and blustery. And there's double-decker buses going around outside. There's two, like, you'll know what they are, Justin. Are they nuclear warheads? <laughs> no, they, I suspect they're guns from a ship. Guns from a ship. You see, I was you very can close. see the bullets or whatever that go in them. Uh, quite scary how big they are they're huge and then there's a bit of the berlin wall which has graffiti on it saying change your life and i always love seeing that when i walk past here because it's just such a it's such a vivid memory for me it's like the the first big news event i remember seeing on the tv news you're obviously older than me so maybe you remember the battle of hastings no i don't remember the battle (laughs) of hastings but i do remember the wall coming down david hasselhoff on the wall. I love that that's what you remember. <laughs> I remember moving moments like of history. East and West United. World history. David Hasselhoff <laughs> inserting himself in it. So we're standing in front of this building and it's got this very impressive dome over the top. And these, are they, I think they're Doric columns. Doric, yeah, I think. And a kind of a substantial pediment with, I think, the regal coat of arms at the top. I remember um, coming here as a child on school trips and things. And I always remember the front being so impressive that you'd feel like really overawed to come up these steps into the museum. I know, I feel like I'm in a period drama or something. Yes. Should we need go on You a flouncy in? dress. <laughs> I do, I need an Empire Line dress. As it is, I've just got leggings. Yes. Hello, welcome to Imperial War Museums. Hello, thank you so much for having us. You're so welcome. Well, you've got your national art passes and we're a free museum, but you know, you can use those passes to see some of our Second World War sites too. So uh, yeah, come on in and enjoy your visit. Thank you so much. Thank you. Can't wait. I love this entrance. I think it's just so impressive. It's incredible. So we're walking into the main atrium And the artist Ai Weiwei has done this extraordinary installation where there are these huge kind of spitfires and fighter jets hanging from the ceiling and then poking out of kind of balcony areas are rain like military range rovers and there's a boat boat there. And then the floor is patterned with... Now, are they nuclear warheads? I don't know. They're bombs of some description. So I think it's a kind of collection of all 
the artillery, a, rep, a kind of representation of all the artillery that we have built up around ourselves in modern times. And would be dropped by these uh, planes, probably, and used in war. It's quite it, impressive, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing to see... You don't often see these kind of planes up close and to see the scale of them. You don't really realise how big they are. I yeah. think they seem much smaller when you're far away, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> That's perspective, Yes, Justin. I know, yeah. <laughs> but they're very impressive, I always find. And quite terrifying. Can you imagine it flying over your head and potentially dropping one of these artillery on you? These were all used in actual conflicts. That's amazing, isn't it? So there's a Harrier jet a Spitfire, and a kamikaze jet. And that's a V2 bomb that mm. would have come down on London. <gasps> so the V2 bomb is three storeys high, must be 25 metres, would you say? Imagine that landing on your house. I lived in Kingston, and there was a, there was a plaque at the end of the road where a V2 bomb came down. My goodness. It's extraordinary how all this history is just around us all the time, especially in London. It's incredible to be here when it's entirely empty. I have never been in an entirely empty museum. So it does have a slightly otherworldly feel to it. Uh, it is really quite extraordinary and a privilege for us. Totally. To be here. Such an honour. And I guess it also feeds into the whole post-apocalyptic feel almost just not having anyone else here I wanted to come to the Imperial War Museum because I've got this slightly odd fascination with war I think it's partly because I grew up in Northern Ireland in a time of conflict and looking back over the work I've done and the books I've written I'm clearly interested in how we remember war and what it does to people and people having to flee from their home. Yeah, I think the refugee exhibition is going to be really quite impactful. You know, we know people who've been displaced recently and my family on my mother's side were displaced uh, after the Second World War. And so, you know, there's a long history of just people being affected, as you say, by conflict and by war. And it's important to remember that and to mm. really understand the human stories of it, because it does have an impact, I think, on all our lives. And it's happening now as it has in the past. And it changes the whole face of continents. Exactly. And the reason I brought you <laughs> is because... A, it's really nice to do something together, even though we're spending all our time together at the moment. It's very nice to get out of the house. It is. And although I know you hate being any centre of any attention, which is profoundly unlike me, <laughs> um, and I know that you have never come on my podcast, but I wanted to lure you in with the promise of doing something in Lambeth because I know that you love Lambeth and, so much. And you did that through a museum, which is something that we, I think, for the time we've been together, I think we've punched above our weight in terms of museums. I think we've been to quite a lot together. And I think we really enjoy it. I certainly enjoy it. I love a good museum. And I think a good museum with you is amazing. You're very good, actually, at encouraging me to go to more museums. So... The reason I brought you is not just because we recently got married. So it's almost it's like a, a little wedding present for you. Thank you. It's like our honeymoon. <laughs> it's our this honeymoon. is our honeymoon that we couldn't have in the Imperial War Museum. 
How romantic. Um, and also because you're such a good person to go around museums with and art galleries because you allow me to do my own thing, which is actually really symbolic of the life that we live together. I feel really supported in who I am and my own quirks and foibles. So the fact that I like to go at a certain pace around museums and then go to the gift shop, buy lots of postcards and, and unique gifts for people at Christmas because I have 10 godchildren and then go and sit in the cafe and have a slice of lemon drizzle whilst waiting for you to do the final three hours that of a four-hour so stretch. That works so well for me. Exactly. Because then I don't have to worry about you, you know, following me around or I don't have to worry about rushing. It works very well. We were walking into the First World War Gallery, which I recognise yes. because this is where I came to research my second novel, Home Fires, and we're immediately greeted by a military greatcoat. Yeah, uniforms and model boats. That is very, that's what I remember from uh, museums growing up. <laughs> but we have this amazing multimedia sort of table, so it all is all very modern as well. Yeah, it makes maps more interactive. And I can hear audio in the background. Oh, I love this gallery here. so much. Are these tobacco these, tins? No, I think they're ration tins. They're ration tins. I always remember reading that there was an incredible postal service in operation when soldiers were on the Western Front from the UK and you could order a fruitcake from Fortnum Mason's and it would be delivered the next yes, day. Uh, yeah, I heard that. I know you're not meant to have favourites, but it's probably my favourite part of the museum it's, because it's full of knickknacks and personal mementos. But it's just so visually stunning as you walk in. The way everything is laid out in such amazing sort of way of like seeing everything exposed. It's like, it's really, really impressive. There's plenty of audiovisual stuff here, which I know you love, Justin. I do. And there's also a real life person. So we've come across a lovely woman who is going to tell us who she is. So hello, I'm Jill Webber. I'm Executive Director of Content and Programming here at Imperial War Museums. So delighted to have visitors. It's so wonderful that you're here. It's so lovely to be visitors somewhere other than our own kitchen. So thank you for having us. And can you tell us a bit about the history of IWM? Why was it founded? Yeah, so I mean, in fact, it's really pertinent that we're here in the First World War galleries because, of course, IWM was founded during the First World War. So we were founded in 1917 and the purpose was to explore the impact of war on everyone. Of course, the First World War at the time was the contemporary conflict. So I think that that is just a really great illustration of our role and remit overall. So we are here to help our visitors explore the causes, the course and the consequence of war. And our remit is from the First World War, so from 1914, right the way up to the present day. So, of course, we continue to explore contemporary conflicts as well as First World War, Second World War, Cold War, those ones that we're really, really well known for. But we also uh, look at uh, Yemen. We've had recent exhibitions and events on Syria, Afghanistan, uh, Iraq, 9-11 and the impact of the war on terror. So all of those are, you know, very much within our, within our remit. But it all started here with the First World War. 
and they put a call out for um, memorabilia, if you like, from the First World War, from the general public, all sorts of different places, but one of the places that they put that call out was on ration books. So it actually said, send your stuff to the secretary of IWM and gave, gave the address. And people were encouraged just to send in anything that they had. And that was really the start of what we call our democratic collections. Hmm. So here at IWM, we have fabulous things. And as you can see, sort of looking around here in the First World War um, gallery. But it's not necessarily the best in the world, the only one in the world, you know, the, um, the most beautiful. What it is, is in a, quite often ordinary things, but they are ordinary things that tell a fantastic mm. story. Um, so, as I say, we now have 33 million items and five branches, but it all started out with that call-out for ordinary items that people had that meant something to them and told a particular story about their experience of the First World War. That's what I love about this museum in particular. I studied a history at university and so much of history is top-down, so it's sort of, it's told from victors, from important yes. men and women, actually very rarely women. But IWM does it the opposite way. It's from the bottom up. It's a sort of grassroots thing where you, you do really cherish the experience of ordinary people. And as a novelist, that is just such wonderful material. I think that's really important. And it's really, um, that's something that we always want people to understand about Imperial War Museums. So I think people can be forgiven for thinking that we're a military museum. I mean, certainly our branch here in London, London, we have the fantastic First World War guns immediately outside the museum, so you can be forgiven for having that impression. But in fact, we're a social history museum. Mm. We're about the impact of war on everyone. So we don't talk about military campaigns just for the sake of talking about military campaigns. We're just as interested as the, on the impact of ordinary people. So it's not just all about, you know, boys' toys, military hardware exactly. and, uh, you know, military, military campaigns. And do you still accept donations from the public? Absolutely, of course oh, we great do. Great question. Do yeah, of course we do. And to. I mean, if you, if, you, if you have something that you think that we might be interested in, you know, there's a form on our website wow. that you can, you can fill in. And um, every um, offer is, of course, um, you know, carefully considered by our curators. I mean, I should manage people's expectations that we do take a very small proportion right. of things that we're offered. But we are interested to see what people have got. And it's particularly objects that tell a wider story about the impact of a particular conflict on that person or on their family. If someone was coming to the IWM for the first time, where would you take them? Um, so this is what I particularly wanted to show you. This film is the Battle of the Somme film, which was um, made in 1916. It was one of the first real-life depictions of battle and war on screen, so in, in film. This film was shown in uh, UK cinemas from 1916 onwards oh. and some, uh, I can't remember the exact figure, but an incredible proportion of the British public went to the cinema to see this film. Now, the vast majority of it is, you know, genuine footage and the reason that people went in their droves to go and watch this film in the cinema was because, of course, they were hoping to see one of their loved ones oh, on amazing. screen. So um, there are large depictions of sort of troops, you know, marching past the camera or, you know, sort of in camps um, and also in, in trenches. Um, and as I say, a lot of the British public were quite hopeful that they would see one of, their, one of their loved ones on screen. It's just extraordinary. So what we're seeing is a black and white film of footage from the First World War, 73 minutes running time. 
It's, it's actually quite remarkable, isn't it? How bright the film is, how, you know, accurate it is. How modern the faces and are And how modern, well. yeah. We're now looking at a group of Tommies staring at the camera, um, some of them very, very tired eyes and others having a cigarette. And now troops walking through trenches, communication lines. This is an incredibly famous image, um, stills of that image. So this was a, a man who was walking through the trenches um, carrying a colleague who had obviously been seriously injured um, sort of over his back and he's looking up at, at, at the screen. Um, so the still of that image, you know, you, you see that all over mm. the place. It's really striking. But it really is just quite remarkable how yeah. you can relate to them, the people that you're seeing in the, in the film. You know, and maybe sort of uh, just imagine a little bit more about, um, you know, what it was like for them. So this is another exhibition called Refugees Forced to Flee. And it makes the point that since the First World War, countless lives have been shattered by conflict and it's happening right now. And the UN estimates that almost 71 million people globally wow. have been forced from their homes. That brings it home That is you. an amazing question, though, isn't it? Could you leave everything behind? Could you just pick every yourself up? and just walk away. If I were in that horrendous situation where I was given 12 hours to leave my home, what I would take with me, I would definitely take my grandfather's cigarette case because for me that represents so much, but it also represents a sort of span of personal history and is very important to me. And I like the idea of sort of it accompanying me through the next few years of my life. I would take photos. I would take probably a favourite book. Um, that would be hard for you. It would be hard for me. I'm not sure which one I'd take. And I'm not carrying any for you. <laughs> okay. I'd take a pen and paper because I think it's incredibly important to bear witness to experiences like I think that. I, I, would, I would find it very hard to walk away but I think I would also be quite practical about it. You definitely... Oh, yeah, you'd take things I'd like take a things leather like, man. Yeah, you know, like first aid kits and torches and <laughs> things like that. I think personal items... I'd take a battery pack. This is why we're such a good couple. You need a battery pack <laughs> in today's world. I think the personal things I would take... I would take some documents. Might take our wedding certificate. <laughs> Yeah, you see, practical, that's good. You see, a that's passport, important. But that's good, because you've got the practical stuff covered. And some clothes. That's maybe, why like we're a, such a good team. Exactly. OK, so we're going into the first room. It's wallpapered in sort of 1950s, 60s-style wallpaper. And I'm being drawn now to a case, a glass case, which has a teddy bear in it, wearing this very pretty lace nightdress. And it's a teddy bear from 1936. And there is a photo next to it of a baby in a similarly pretty lace kind of night dress. And I think that's the very bear in this black and white photograph lying on its side next to the baby. And we're told that this is three-year-old Anne Simpson. And Anne's family lived in Paris. In June 1940, Anne and her parents were forced to flee their home to escape the German invasion of France. They had to leave all of their possessions behind. Anne was so upset that she would have to leave her toys. She cried so much that her parents allowed her to bring only her favourite toy, which is this teddy bear. That's, That's really amazing. amazing. And to see it still here. Yeah. And it's been repaired. 
over the years. It's lost an arm, but it's had an arm put back on it. It's really very moving. It's been, his face has been patched together. I so relate to that because my teddy bear was probably my favourite possession when I was that age. I remember my teddy bear turning up in a in a mini that my father then drove and it had a seat belt over it. He was in the passenger seat, the bear. <laughs> and I took that bear everywhere I travelled. So when we moved from Epsom, where I was born, to Northern Ireland in 1982, Thomas the bear came with me. And so I can completely relate to this story. It really humanises. Shall we move on? Yes, OK. Should we go this way, Elizabeth? Yes, let's go through here. Oh, wow, so this is a very different space. Isn't it? This is, it looks quite modern, it's all white, the walls are white, and there's a lovely woman here <laughs> in a pink top. Who are you? <laughs> Hi, I'm Iris Beasy, and I'm a curator of Contemporary Conflict and one of the curators of this exhibition. Wow. Hi, Iris. Hi. Thanks for having you. us. So this is an artist's interpretation of... The themes of home and displacement, is that right? Yes, that's right. So in the exhibition, we commissioned three artists to create new work, responding to the more intangible ideas that run through the space. So things like home, identity, agency. And they're really a chance for people to sort of pause and reflect and think about those ideas in more detail. So this space, which, as you say, is very different from the previous room, it's completely white, um, is given over to an artist called Grace Schwint. And she's created a series of ceramic sculptures exploring the idea of home. So Grace has created five ceramic sculptures and each sculpture is accompanied by a piece of music, a soundtrack that is both musical and also incorporates sort of sounds that people remember from their homes. So that could be the sound of a clock ticking or it could be um, the sound of a relative writing a letter. Each sculpture is based on a conversation with an individual refugee and that was very important to Grace, that it was a long conversation where she spoke to them about what they remembered of their home before conflict, what they thought about their home now, how that experience had changed their idea of home. Oh, that's The audio soundtrack adds a whole different level. It's such a multi-sensory experience. Yeah, so the idea is that it, it sort of speaks to different sensory levels and the kind of different sensory memories that we have of our home and I think sound is very evocative for that. You need smell in here as well. You need, yeah, like, you need a like loaf of baking bread. Yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> and sort of like mustiness. Yeah. The next iteration. Yeah. <laughs> and why is refugee season important? So Imperial War Museum explores the causes, the course and the consequences of conflict and displacement is a massive human consequence of conflict. So we think that it's really a vital element of our remit here. And of course, particularly right now, and when we first started thinking about this exhibition, there'd been a lot of stories in the news about refugees and about displacement, um, particularly in 2015. People would have been reading a lot of stories about the crossings in the Mediterranean and perhaps not really understanding the broader picture of you know, why people are making these journeys and why they're forced to make these journeys. So what we want to do in this exhibition is explore how and why people are forced to flee their homes because of conflict, express that that's something that's happening right now and it's happening around the world, but also it's something that's always happened. 
because we are a museum and our remit covers from 1914 to the present day, so we wanted to place the contemporary situation in its historical context mm. as well. So if I just take you to this one at the end, this piece is based on a conversation that Grace had with a man called Javed who fled Afghanistan as a child. And you can see there's this beautiful ceramic horse that she's moulded alongside the structure and it's sort of spilling out onto the side. And that's one of the things that he remembered from his home. Um, and very sadly, Javed hasn't been able to go back and find his family yet. Oh, my gosh. I think what's so important about this exhibition is the... Because there are lots of changing conceptions of refugees, aren't there? Mm. And latterly, sadly, the conversation around immigration has changed in tone. And it's so important to remember, I think that people fleeing from their homes only do so out of desperation and complete need. And, and I love the way that this humanises all of that political discourse. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the things that we really wanted to get across, that, of course, refugees aren't just refugees. They haven't, they've, they've come from somewhere else. They have a life before they are refugees. Obviously, some people are born into a state of displacement, but that there is more to them than that particular status of being somebody who's had to flee their homes and that there are very real reasons why people are forced to do that and make a journey that really a lot of us would, you know, it's completely unimaginable. This sculpture, which is called A Swing in a Window, is interesting because it's based on the experience of a family who fled their home initially during the Israel-Palestine conflict and then made a home in Syria and then subsequently had to leave Syria because of the conflict there. And so you see sort of a, a generational and sort of ongoing displacement. And one of the things we did for the exhibition was we worked with um, two research councils, the AHRC and ESRC. And that was really interesting because we got to access all of their research projects about displacement. And one of their projects, Refugee Hosts, which we showcase elsewhere in the exhibition, looks at sort of multi-generational displacement in refugee camps in places like Lebanon and Jordan and where of course actually displaced people end up living in sort of temporary states for years and years mm. and then become hosts themselves and welcome other generations of displaced people. Mm. That must have been something your mum's family experienced so Justin's mum lived for two years in Nissen huts in Essex they were displaced from Poland and had this extraordinary experience around Europe that idea that, yeah, then that becomes a sort of home. Mm. This temporary place becomes permanent for a while. Yeah, and that people might try and make a home in a, yeah. in a state of kind of impermanence. Because, you know, I'm always amazed at how humanity has an ability to create home out of different places. You know, that becomes home for those people and then yeah. they welcome other people into their home. It might not be their choice or where they want to be, but they manage to make the best of it. So interesting we're talking about this mm. when we're all spending so much time, if we're lucky enough yeah. to have a home, we're all spending so much time in our homes. Yeah. Kind of, and, and I've got a whole newfound appreciation for the fact that I have somewhere that we can shelter mm. during really difficult times. So it's, yeah, serendipitous that we're here today, I feel. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's on all of our minds, the idea of security yeah. and place, I think. 
What is home to you, Elizabeth? Home to me is where I'm with the person that I love, which is you. And at the moment, that happens to be housed in a house in Vauxhall. And do you think you could just go to a completely different culture and start again? I often think home is about familiarity. Mm. And I feel like Britain is my home because it's familiar. Yeah. And it would be, I think, very hard to go and settle somewhere completely new, which, which is unfamiliar, and also know at the same time that you're unlikely to go back to that which is familiar. Yes, that must be That awful. must be heartbreaking. So now we're entering an exhibition space and it's entitled A Face to Open Doors and it asks us what will immigration control look like in the future? Some artists, Anagram, have imagined a world where refugee movement is policed by intelligent machines. Ooh, sounds a bit sounds sinister, doesn't it? Well, you know I'm not a fan of AI and virtual no. reality. You love all that stuff. Maybe this is what it'll be like going into Europe post-Brexit. <laughs> bit political. <laughs> um, anyway, should we go on in? That's we... <laughs> Anagram's a good name, isn't it, it for an is. artist? So we're now going into this, oh wow, this space where we're sort of looking at a it thing. Looks like, it looks a bit like a kind of modern brasserie. Yeah. <laughs> because it's sort of deconstructed sheet metal chic it looks quite scary though the decision on whether to grant asylum to people fleeing conflict or persecution can be a matter of life or death they need to prove that they have a well-founded fear of persecution and that they are unable to seek protection from the authorities within their home country so it's really like very down at heel isn't it feels very not feels, a very nice place to be. Yeah, grimy, claustrophobic. There's this kind of plastic sheeting with strip lighting above our heads. There's a broken red phone. There is this strange kind of red cage, which I think is... It looks like there's a sort of religious shrine in there, but maybe that's objects that have been confiscated. Marigolds. Oh, <laughs> there's a sign here saying, dial for complaints and queries, and it's facing the broken red phone. <laughs> so... Even if you wanted to dial somewhere, you couldn't. And there are these two booths that look a bit like passport photo booths and a bit like interrogation booths. There are these bright angle poise lamps above our heads. So we're being encouraged to go and sit in the booth. Good luck. Thank you. Lower the blind. You might blind. need to take your face covering off, it says. OK, remove my mask. And I need to lower the blind behind me. Oh, my God. Okay, and now there's a screen saying you are applying to be relocated from a problem area. Trueface will select your most appropriate destination. Welcome to your face. Our machine will now take a close look at it. You want to leave this place, but before we can get you to your destination, you need to prove you can be trusted. We are having difficulty calibrating your face. Perhaps you are uncomfortable. Give us a smile. I mean, I hate being asked to smile naturally anyway. <laughs> it's horrible. I prefer loving to being loved. Oh, I'm so nice. <laughs> yes, that's so true. They're showing me like a beach scene. 
You would do best on the beach. I mean, they mm -hmm. have nailed, nailed me. The combination of beach and lava gives you the destination of Miami. I'm thrilled with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it turned out all right. Turned you to your destination. <laughs> Maybe you don't quite have it. Oh, dear. <gasps> Miami's going. Unfortunately, your application has not been successful on this occasion. I'm not sad you enough. failed to show credibility due to an unconvincing emotional makeup. A failure to show enough emotion is considered a sign that you are untrustworthy. A bit shifty, basically. It's very true. No, Please because if you show too much emotion, that's also untrustworthy. And leave the booth. Well, that's awful. Don't get too angry now. The machine just reflects what is there. <sighs> That is That's a very weird. scary exhibit, though. Isn't yeah, it? it's very, very clever. It's so mechanised, and there's just no scope for you to be an individual. Yeah, a human being. Yeah, your story just gets reduced to a series of algorithms. Nisunas ubiliali. So this is an audio installation where we're going to hear first-person accounts from the refugees themselves, I think. I think this is one of the best things about museums now, is the multimedia aspect to them. Yeah. It adds a, such a huge amount to the experience. I always remember going to the sort of science museum when I was a kid and touching things. Yeah. And now everything is so visceral in museums, and this is a great example of that. Yes, it becomes an experience rather than just looking at stuff. Exactly. This is a refugee from Bosnia-Herzegovina. And he's saying that children of mixed marriages had to be expelled. That's I mean, extraordinary, isn't it? I, I grew up in Northern Ireland and there was such religious strife there. And if the children of mixed marriages had to be expelled between Catholic and Protestants, can you imagine? And that ethnic cleansing, that mentality at a state level in our lifetimes. And the next morning they ran away because we realised there was no other choice. Well, uh, we obviously heard uh, various information from the front. We learned again very bad news that the Russians attacked the Poland from the east. It wasn't very long, a couple of days. They already showed up. Uh, the Russian troops have entered uh, our uh, village in the, all the surrounding villages. So we've now been listening to the account of a Pole who was displaced as the Russians came in from the east. And that's exactly the experience of my grandparents who were displaced from eastern Poland and taken out to the gulags. It's extraordinary to see and hear somebody who could be one of my grandparents actually talking about that. Mm. It's very moving. Yeah. My grandparents were Poles and they were displaced uh, during and after the Second World War. So in 1939, when Germany invaded Poland, 
Russia annexed the east of Poland and my grandfather and grandmother were taken out on trucks and driven to a gulag in a place called Krajanorsk in Siberia. And when you look at it on a map, it is absolutely mind-blowing how far that is. So that is nearer China and Mongolia than it is Europe. I had two uncles who were very small toddlers at the time, and they both died in this period. So one died on the way to the camps, and one died on the way out of the camps. And it, you know, devastated both my grandparents and obviously my mother, who wasn't born, has always regretted the loss of her two brothers. In 1941-42, basically, there was the establishment of the Polish army, and Stalin let all the men out of these camps so that they could go back to Europe and fight for the Allies. They were literally just let out of these camps. So this is like thousands of miles away in Siberia. And they walk to uh, Persia. Two years it took. Their home is not Poland anymore because it's in conflict. And they wanted to get out and a lot of Christians at the time thought okay we'll head out into the Middle East because they couldn't go back to Europe. The men went to Persia which is now Iran and my grandmother was a few months behind and she got down there as well and they found each other through the Red Cross lists. So the Red Cross and they still do this to this day they publish lists of um, displaced families and families that are looking for others etc and they found each other through these lists. It always like chokes yeah, me up to think so... of, can you imagine? No. Like um... looking in one of those lists and seeing that your husband is there and he survived and you can be reunited with him, I and, mean. And also that your grandfather went first and then your mother came, but that walk took how long from... That must have and 18 so, months to two and years. And your, your grandmother was walking, was walking during that time with her son. Yeah. And her son died during that walk. So by the time they were reunited, it's so incredibly moving that they were, and it chokes me up too. Even not having known anyone involved in the story, the unimaginable trauma that they went through. Yeah, and my mother always said my grandmother never recovered, really. So normally by now I'd be sitting in the cafe. <laughs> I would be about 25% of the yes. way through, I think. <laughs> Waiting for you to complete your marathon, your museum marathon. <laughs> and I think it would be a marathon here because there's just so much to see. I mean, the way that it's curated and all the stories, you literally could spend days, I think, really, you know, getting into the content. It's just such a wonderful place. I really love the layout as well, because it doesn't feel overwhelming. There's lots of sort of interesting nooks and crannies to go into. But what stood out for you in particular, do you think? I mean, the refugee uh, exhibition, I just think is fantastic, the way that it's put together, and really just tells those human stories uh, of displaced people's and for me personally, seeing the stories of Polish refugees through the war, uh, the Second World War and after the Second World War really resonated with me, given that, you know, they could have been my grandparents. I know, talking to Jill really brought it home that the story of war, of conflict, is a human one. And for me too, I thought the refugee exhibition was incredible. 
And the thing that moved me most of all was that teddy bear of that three-year-old girl, Anne, that she couldn't bear to be parted from. And as you pointed out, had been patched up through the decades. You got to walk around this museum with me. I mean, what a pleasure and a privilege. (laughs) But by ourselves, by ourselves. I mean, that is extraordinary, you know, to be in a place like this that is so large and, as you say, so sort of, uh, you know... um, so so imposing in many ways, but to be by ourselves mm. is quite a surreal experience, actually. I liked it because you are one of the few people who I think can be more emotional than I am and that you're moved to tears in a very beautiful way by emotional things. And it was very special sharing that with you and sharing the story of your grandparents and your mother. Well, we, we like a good weep. We do, we do. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to Meet Me at the Museum with me, Elizabeth Day. And me, Justin Bassini, at the Imperial War Museum in London. If you liked this episode of the podcast, please do rate, subscribe or even tell a friend. And don't forget, you can show your love for museums with a National Art Pass. It gives you great benefits at hundreds of venues at the same time as raising money to support them. Everyone's a winner. <laughs>